and welcome to our next edition of the West Midlands People podcast. It's been a while since we did one, um, but I'm delighted that we've got Becca Horton on the show today, um, along with myself, Ashley, and my colleague, John, from Westray Recruitment. So, Becca, hello. Hello. How are you, Ashley? I am very well. I'm absolutely over the moon to have you on here. I know it's been arranged previously and cancelled, so I'm really excited to have you. So why don't you kick us off then, Rekha, and um, just give an overview of you, your experience and what you do now. No problem. Um, so hello, firstly, and hello, John, as well. Hello. Um, so my name is Rekha Horton, and I am currently uh, an inheritance tax specialist and will writer. So anything connected to death, I'm your lady. Um, so on a protection point of view. Um, but I haven't always done that. Um, yes, and I, and I do actually live, I actually live in Staffordshire, which is like the neighbour for the West Midlands. I'm married and I've got two children, um, both at teenager stage, A-level stage, so very dodgy at the moment with all the pandemic going on. Um, but in terms of my work life, beforehand, I have got very corporate background. Um, I pretty much started my career with uh, the NEC based in, um, well, that's a, the more recent one in Birmingham, the, the NEC, but I was based at the ICC on Broad Street. And it was all about conferences, um, hospitality, the travel industry. So, so did that for, for a number of years. Um, and then went to work for Manchester United Football Club as their head of non-match day sales. So basically, um, other than Premier League games and Champion League games, the stadium was um, under my control and my team. So we were just filling the stadium with any kind of events, conferences, exhibitions. Uh, we brought on the X Factor um, what we did, a rugby union, a rugby finals, etc. So did a lot there, spent a few years at Man United, very, very surreal and some fabulous stories that I can share over a glass of fizz one day with you, Ashley. Um, and then moved on to be a deputy commercial director for Brunel University. Uh, there was responsible for, um, what's that, 50 million pound budget. Uh, had uh, about six, seven head of departments report, um, and it was a fabulous job, really. Absolutely loved it. Um, but I had a bit of a health scare, long story cut short. So, really, it was that that um, inspired me, and actually, a family bereavement that inspired me to really look at um, the will side of it. Um, I initially was going to retrain as an IFA to do the will side of it. And the more I looked at it, if I'm honest, doing pensions didn't interest me. Looking at mortgages did not interest me. It was specifically looking at estate planning because, you know, we're intelligent people um, and people that I talked to about the, the importance of getting your estate planning done. So many people just are so shocked because they didn't realize the law of the lands and they don't know about these things. You know, we're, we're talking to, I've got consultant doctors as, as, as clients and believe it or not they hadn't put down wills or anything so um it was that that was that really interested me um and as, as you can see my background is quite um sort of high, uh, senior management regulated so i wanted to self-regulate so i joined the society of will writers and i trained there um because to keep your qualification you had to do a minimum hours 15 hours a year i think for the first year i did like 70 odd hours i really got my really wanted to train and really be the best um, and I really just started off doing your Fred and Doris's type wills and friends and family that hadn't got anything done, putting those in place. 
Um, but it was a client, an elderly client of mine, um, very early on that said to me, you've got to speak to my son. He's on his third marriage. He's got kids coming out of his ears. He's got businesses. He's got nothing in place. And um, they gave me his details. And, and actually, the son phoned me the following day and sort of said, well, my, my mum said, I've got to ring you and talk to you. I mean, this guy was in his late 50s. He's like, my mum said, I've got to ring you. Um, and it was obvious that, you know what, a simple mirror will was just not going to cut it for him. Don't get me wrong, a mirror will, even a basic one for him was better than nothing. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, he had a blended family, he had different baby mamas, you know, um, and he had a lot of asset, a lot of money, lots of stock shares. He had buy-to-let properties. He had three businesses and they were, in total, they turned over about 15 million. So he was a limited company director for a couple of few businesses. So really what we did was like, well, let's get something in really quickly as sort of a band-aid and then let's look at proper inheritance tax planning for you. Um, because you are given allowances by the government uh, they, they do allow you to mitigate inheritance tax. That's completely legal to do. What we don't do is tax avoidance, which is absolutely mm -hmm. illegal, but you can mitigate your given policies and it's about finding those policies and applying, applying it to the estate. So um, it was a kind of before and after that if you hadn't put anything together, this is what your children who were the beneficiaries after his wife, this is the type of inheritance tax that your children would have paid. Um, and inheritance tax is the difference between your allowance and your net estate. So pretty much you were looking at 40% inheritance tax on an 11 million pound estate. So do the math. So we put lots of policies in place to mitigate his inheritance um, tax. And then within a week, he'd uh, given um, about eight of his friends who were also very high net worth um, business owners my details. And I think over the years, that's how the business has grown. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my work is with business owners, making sure that they've got things in place, wills, lasting powers of attorney is so incredibly important but people don't understand what they are and the implications they have on your finances if you lose mental capacity mm -hmm. that's what i was going to come on to actually because i know when we first had a conversation there were a lot of things that absolutely blew my mind so what are the repercussions of not getting these things in place now i mean let's face it nobody wants to think about dying but you never know what's going to happen. And I even said to my mom, she needs to try and protect what she's built now, because if she was to die tomorrow, and hopefully she doesn't, but if she was, I don't even, I don't think she even has an up-to-date will or anything. So what are the repercussions if people aren't getting these, um, aren't getting their lasting powers of attorney in place, or they're not going through the process with someone like yourself, Becca? Yeah, so by not having a will, if you don't have a will in place, you your estate is distributed in accordance to the intestacy law. So pretty much the government decides who's going to get your money. And your immediate family won't necessarily get all of it. And under the intestacy law, you've got extended family that have got right for your money, which is why somebody passes away. And you, we've all been there, haven't we? We all know about that distant relative that no one's ever heard from. And then all of a sudden someone passes away. They're just around sniffing, you know, as people are just seeing what, what money there is left over for them. So it's really important that you take control of your estate. Who do you want your money to go to? And who do you not want it to go to? Because if it's a member of your family, you and you really don't want them to have any money, you need to take steps. Again, I have 
clients that say to me, you know what, Rekha, I live, uh, I rent, I haven't really got my own property, got, you know, got a small car, don't have a lot of assets, but they have children. And again, it's the understanding that if you have minors, so children under the age of 18, and husband and wife pass away, God forbid something happens to them and there is no will, the children, the process is, the official process is, the local authority will take guardian, immediate guardianship of those children because there is no will to determine where these kids are going to go. So they've got a duty of care to minors mm. that they'll take and house the children, which is, you know, which we're talking about foster, foster care for a short mm. time. It's only then that a member of family then or somebody comes forward to apply for permanent guardianship. Now, don't get me wrong, they're going to fast track that pretty quickly, you know, but then you've got potentially a member of your family or friends or somebody that's applying for guardianship who actually you really didn't want to didn't want guardianship for anyway. So why leave it to the process? Dictate it yourself. Um, and the local authority has to do that because they don't know that your mum might be an abuser, you sit, whoever. So they've got to process. Yeah. So even if you've got very little, but you've got kids, just please put a simple, pat, you know, will in place. You know, for a married couple, you're talking 150 pounds. It's, it's it's very little really in the grand scheme of things, just to name guardians. So that's the reason why you know to have it. Business owners, you need to make sure that your the shares of your business is being properly set in your will um, so that, it, you know, it might be right for you to have a business trust within your will, look at succession planning. If you're thinking you're going to leave your shares to your wife and she's like, got no interest in the business, how's that going to work? So it's thinking about what the succession planning after you pass away um, and making sure that your uh, family's estate is being mitigated. And the biggest one I mentioned was lasting powers of attorney. And that's a tough one because you've lost mental capacity but you're not dead you're in that kind of gray area so what was happening is people were losing mental capacity being being extremely vulnerable and heartbreaking to say it was very close friends and family that would say go to mom you know who's got dementia or something's happened mom just sign here and all of a sudden she signed away a house to somebody so that's where the government needed to understand actually how many people are being, uh, this has been affected. So brought in the Office of the Public Guardian to make sure that they are protecting vulnerable people. And what will happen is if you don't have a power of attorney in place, your assets can potentially get frozen, which means money doesn't go in and out your accounts. That's why it's good to have a power of attorney in place because whilst you have capacity, you're telling the courts, if something happened to me, I would like X person to be able to deal with my finances and make decisions about my healthcare as well. Um, because they won't automatically give it to your next of kin because as far as they're concerned, you might be on the brink of a divorce. So you yeah. don't want the other half to go and rinse your accounts out. So mm -hmm. this is there to protect people. It really is. It, the, the clues in the title, it's a lasting power of attorney. So once you register it with the courts, it lasts forever. You can tweak it and change it. It's flexible enough for you, but you don't have to keep redoing it. And you kind of think that you spend a lot of money for your contents insurance. You know, you, you, you insure your sofa and your TV, but you're not insuring yourself and yeah. your brain, which is so important. And again, with business owners, you know, they'll say, well, I've got key man's policy or I've got life insurance. And I'll say to them, but that activates on death. What happens if you're out the business, mm -hmm. you've lost mental capacity, 
is your business partner going to be happy with your wife coming into the show and actually mr other partner if if you're if you, the director goes loses mental capacity and he's your sales guy what impact does that have on your business so again what contingency plans have you got as directors of a business if one director loses capacity so it's really important to look at that and what they've got in place and make sure that there's some succession planning there so do you think it's important then if someone is wanting to um to get their lasting powers of attorney in place and it's a business director and they have a business partner do you think it's important for them to have their business partner involved in that process as well or not necessarily involved but be aware of it and be um privy to that information so as to not cause uh issues in the future or how would you suggest that that business owners manage that process if they have other people involved uh, at a high level in the business? Yeah, I generally, with the process for me is see the business, uh, the directors first and talk about the business. Mm -hmm. Then we take it separately because obviously, whilst they, they're business partners and directors and obviously very friendly, their personal life is their personal life. And under data protection, yeah. I wouldn't cross-reference that anyway. So it's, okay, well, you've got one common goal. Let's look at that first. This is your business. What, where are, you, what are your shares? What are your assets? What, what are you doing? And then we just take it then individually. And then you then as couples discuss their personal life. And then with the business, that's when we'll put together bespoke plans for them because everyone's situation is different. Um, I've gone into a client, you know, obviously no names, but I've gone into a client that's in the middle of the meeting when I've prompted that I need to know, I need, you can't have any skeletons in your closet kind of thing because I need to plan to make sure your assets are protected. And in the middle of the meeting, he's just confessed to his wife that he's got a love child. That, that you know, I could write a book on this. So is it? Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> Well, I'll just leave you my card. <laughs> I'll be back. If you were sat there at the time. I'm sitting there going, right, okay, thank you for being honest. But you know, clearly they needed a bit of she needed a bit of time to absorb that. But it is, and you know, there's you can't be an emu because there's a potential attack to his assets. If he passed away and all of a sudden this love child knocks on the door and the wife's gone, hang on, there's this child, and all of a sudden he's not got any plan, he's not got any wills in place, you know. You've got to look at these kinds of things, then you've got to be kind of quite honest. So, you know, it is all very private, it's all confidential. But if I don't know, I can't help and I yeah. can't. I can't advise and I can't put things together. So all of my work is very bespoke because people's circumstances are very different. They're very different. So how often would you suggest that people need to review their wills, for example, because if someone is progressing in their career and their circumstances are changing, do you have do they have to then look at that and review it and then change it again? Or will it be very will it be kind of relevant regardless of how far they progress in the future? That's a really good question. And, and you know what? It's, I would say review your will every two years because you don't, you forget. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, will, I was doing powers of attorney for this gentleman, an elderly gentleman. And I said, look, do you want me to have a look at your will for you just to make sure it's all okay? Um, and he said, no, 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 I've got it all sorted. And I said, well, I'm here, I can have a quick look. And he went, actually, won't harm. So I had a look at it. And I said, so your executor was his brother-in-law. So I said, it's, your executor is, you know, John Brown. And uh, it wasn't John Brown, by the way, just, just for it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. He died a few years ago. And I was like, well, okay, well, you haven't got an executor. <laughs> oh, I haven't, have I? 
Mm. The will will fail because there's nobody there to execute the, the, the will. So it's things like that. So you forget that people have passed away. But I'm a big, big believer. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, very often I look at a will and say, do you know what? Has that changed? Has that changed? Has that changed? Has your situation changed? No, it's pretty much the same. Then leave it as is. Mm-hmm. It's there's no need changing it for changing sake it's absolutely okay but you need to look at you know in that time you had the will have you inherited money from somebody passing so there's more money in your estate have you cashed out policies um have your children had a divorce subsequently you know there's lots of factors have you had more grand- grandkids or something's happened you know have you split up from your partner um I was on a networking event and this lady, I was chatting to a lovely, lovely lady. And uh, I think she was just on one about anti-men at the time. And she was laughing and she went, she was going, she went, yes, I went through a bitter divorce about a year ago, but I've got the man of my dreams. And she was just chatting and telling me about it. So when I told her, she asked me what I did, I said, Wills. And she goes, oh, I've done, I did a will when I was married. So I said, so have you changed that? She went, no, doesn't it last forever? Because mm-hmm. the, the misconception is because everything's been split in a divorce, they think they've got their yeah. And I said, no, if you haven't changed it, your will is still live. So she said, are you kidding me? Because in my will, everything was going to him. And I went, yes, so if you died today, he would get everything. She was like, over my dead body. You come out, you better come out in the morning. And so and then the, the next morning I went first thing and, and changed her will. But again, people don't think, they just think I've done a will. Yeah. I need to touch it. You really do. Unless you want your exile everything. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. And I think that's a great message as well. And I think because we're all so busy in our day to day, and as I said earlier, nobody really wants to think about dying. But when people have kids or they're married or they're getting divorced or whatever, these are all life changing things to happen. And you have to protect yourself as much as possible. And as I said, when we first had our conversation back there, it gave me so much to think about. Like my mother's will is completely out of date completely out of date um but again she's just it's just not something that you think about and time gets time gets away with you as well doesn't it and you think you'll have more time and um it's just life gets in the way but I think that's a really important message so before everything to do with death (laughs) you were in the corporate world um were you responsible for well you had a huge team when you were at the university so what advice do you have for developing talent in a corporate world you know what the biggest because pretty much i'd just go in my business you know my experience has been go in with management accounts and just look at businesses how you increase sales marketing and everything i'll be honest the biggest nugget i can give to anyone is you investing in staff staff your staff are everything and it's making sure that they are being trained properly and actually your staff is your biggest cost in the business mm-hmm. it's always going to be your cost, the biggest cost in recruitment to training um so that's what i would advise it really is because your, your costs are your costs your fixed costs are your costs that nothing's going to go you're not going to be able to, you're going to be able to do very little unless you want to sacrifice service or anything else so that that would be my key is is get your stuffing right and that is though in my opinion one of the hardest hardest i I, I was i was always told surround yourself with good people a director of one of my past said the same thing he said to me you recruit people that are better than you 
Absolutely. Oh, 100%, definitely. I quite often, and even with John, John and I both do that, we speak to each other for advice on certain things because there's things that John knows that I don't. And even with the teams that we've got up in the Northeast as well, um, there's no point in thinking you're the best in comparison to everyone else because you build a team in order to drive the business forward and have a good mix of people as well. But you're right, recruitment is hard. It is hard to find good people. But when you do find that good person, you're absolutely right. You do have to invest in the training in order to keep them on side as well. Because that's what a lot of people, especially millennial, millennials, shall we say, that's what they especially look for. So what advice would you also, Rebecca, give to people who are potentially considering retraining and going into something completely different? that would have been a massive risk for you i remember you saying you bought you were you had a great job at the uni you had a great package you had a great lifestyle etc etc when you went into something completely different so what advice would you give people who maybe are in that same state of mind right now but just aren't quite just don't have the the kind of what's the word i'm looking for they don't they're just not there yet what would you I think with COVID as well, actually, with people being made um, redundant yeah. and almost the hands being forced, I think a lot more people have thought about it, you know, and I've certainly got some friends um, who've been in, you know, careers for 5, 10, 15 plus years, and they're thinking, well, can I, can I be retrained in something? Will it mm -hmm. pay? I've got a young family, I've got a mortgage, what do I do? So, it's um, yeah, it, it's quite an interesting story. I'm sorry, Ash, I put it in then. No, no, it's fine. Go first. It's really prevalent at the moment. And I'll be yeah. honest, unless you are looking at transferring into anything that's medically qualified, like I, I'm not going to sit there and go, right, I'm going to be trained as a doctor. I might do, but it's going to take me blooming years and I'm already knocking yeah. on that door as it is. I would say, you know, guys, do it. We're all very different and we've all got different skills and all the skills that we possess as humans are transferable. All it is, it's a different environment. My sales, you know, you've, you've probably guessed so far was always sales. I started my career actually at Pink Bows, really. I was starting my career doing franking machines and I was a salesperson. So inherently, I'm a salesperson. And I've done different sectors because it's not it's not about having the same experience from company to company it's my skills are transferable i'm just selling something different the product or service is different but the way i sell it is going to be different but even if you haven't got a sales background and you're more admin focused or more creative your skills whatever you have will be transferable bite the bullet you know what things happen for a reason and it's just being brave enough and having that positive mindset to say I'm going to do it I'm going to do it well and and take and do it you know mm -hmm. I wouldn't have got here if I hadn't have done it sometimes you know at the beginning I was like you know what you can't you can't beat being your own boss there is you know you, you just can't and you just think I've spent over 20 something years in corporate <laughs> I don't work for myself 20 30 years ago what position maybe financially would I have been in? Mm -hmm. But you know what? I can't regret that because I had amazing experiences and maybe the experiences that I had in each company made me the person now. And I might not be in this position had I not had those experiences. Yeah. Some amazing, um, I had some amazing bosses, but some absolutely awful bosses as well, you know? So, but it all, it all maps you as a person. So go for it. You know what? Dip your foot into something different because you don't know where that leads. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And I agree. And I think something that 
that's become that's been quite a common um objection i suppose for people that i've been speaking to is is age comes into it as well they think if they've been in a job for say 20 years and they've been made redundant and they want to do something different they think that age is against them but i think nah absolutely not just crack on and just keep going and a lot of people do um retrain as they get older because they don't want to keep doing the same things that they've been doing before because they end up starting to dislike it so i think that's great Rebecca. and hats off to you as well when i hear age i all i'm hearing is experience yeah that's all i'm hearing because i mean it's good to have a mix of people because you need the young because they're they are our future moving forwards anyway but you can't just surround yourself with a certain age group you need the the, the people with that kind of experience because what you can't be taught is life experience mm -hmm. you can't be taught that that so when people talk about age, I say, for me, twist it, twist it around. It's experience you take, you're taking somewhere else. And I'd, I'd love that kind of experience myself, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So finally then, Rekka, what is it that you love about the West Midlands? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm originally, although I sound like a brummie now that my friends tell me, I was born and raised in Nottingham. So I'm actually from the East Midlands. Ah. But I've been, I think I've been here for um, 24 five years I'd say um I, I love the diversity I just love I just love the, the the West Midlands anyway I met my husband here so which has been a godsend 21 years we've been together uh, I just love everything like I said I love the people here um I love the infrastructure I love the companies the opportunities here we're smack bang in the middle of England so travel up north and down south is just perfect apart uh, from to the beach <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, the most central place for the beach is Tamworth, I think. Mm -hmm. Is it? In England, yeah, mm -hmm. apparently so. But yeah, it's a fantastic and it's, you know, it's a second city. As, you know, yeah. when I was in hospitality in the conferencing world. I think we used to have a bit of a joke that Manchester thought that they were the second city. But it's, um, I think they were talking about, I think if you looked at a certain area of density of population, Manchester would be bigger, but it's not. Birmingham is the second city. Um, okay. And it's just... Um, I think it's just getting better and better. It's a it's a fantastic city. Well, you're one of the first people that I met. Actually, I say met because we've not physically met yet. We've only ever just met on Zoom, which is crazy. But you're one of the first people that I met coming down there. So you hold a special place in my heart, Rebecca, and you always will because you've made me feel very welcome. Yeah, and I can't wait to meet face to face. I with know. <laughs> with some fizz and gin. John, you can come and you can have the pints. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> right, well, Rebecca, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Um, and we will catch up again soon. But thank you so much for being on the show. It is much appreciated. You're very welcome. Thank you for having thank me. You. I've chatted and chatted, but it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Bye. Thank you. Bye.